What's up, everyone? This is episode 224 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, you heard it here first. Ryan predicted a gentleman sweep in the finals, 4-1, to one, and that's exactly what we got. Although you know he was sweating a little bit when Miami took one of those games in Denver, but congrats to Ryan and congrats to Nuggets fans everywhere, and really NBA fans, because I enjoyed the series. Even though it was a 4-1 series, it still felt relatively competitive to me. Now, as card collectors, anytime someone wins a title, especially for the first time, one of the big first questions we ask is, what does this do to the value of blank? Could be Jokic cards, it could be Murray RPAs, it could be Michael Malone's Prism Rookie from 2017. Hooray for coaching cards, right? Now, history tells us that a lot of the card values have titles built in already, but I don't have definitive answers for those questions. I'm not a charts and graphs kind of guy. I think more along the lines of what will be the perception of Jokic cards in the long run, which will be interesting to follow, seeing as he doesn't have a traditional NTRPA, which has kind of become our barometer for a player's status. The next card up in terms of popularity then would be his 2015 Prism Rookie. And those of you that have listened for a while might remember episode 142, where Steve and I talked about the most iconic cards for each Western Conference franchise. And speaking of Steve, you probably saw that he's on today's episode, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But as for the previous episode, that 142, the Iconic Cards episode, going off of memory... I thought I had picked David Thompson's 76 Tops rookie as the Nuggets' most iconic card. I went back and checked, and I picked Dikembe Mutombo's Upper Deck rookie instead, and then Steve picked Carmelo's Exquisite RPA, and that might be a fun list to revisit here in a little bit. I want to be very careful, though, not to fall into the trap of recency bias, but, you know, seeing the place Prism has in this hobby... Jokic's title run has me thinking, you know, I would probably move his Prism rookie into that spot, and then if he could follow this one up with another title, I think it would be a sure thing, but only time will tell. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but at one point, you know, it looked like Giannis was going to rattle off three straight as well, so I just have to be careful here. Winning a title in the NBA is tough. I know I've said that a couple times lately, but it's true. I can't emphasize that enough, so for the time being... I want to appreciate what we just saw, all the while knowing the focus will be shifting to the draft very fast. I mean, it pretty much already has. Okay, enough about the finals. Let's talk about some mail. Feels like it's been a while since I've done a mail segment. So I've got a few things I want to tell you about. The first card I want to talk about came all the way from the Czech Republic. It's a 2002-2003 upper deck UD Exclusives Parallel of Reggie Miller, numbered to 100. And while I would love to add more Reggie Miller numbered cards to my collection, I have to be kind of selective because the cost would add up pretty quick. However, a few months ago I discovered that I attended a game that is pictured on that upper deck card, on that base card. I won't go into all the details here, but it was a pretty lengthy process that involved matching pictures up on the card, two pictures of people in the crowd, in pictures online. 
so there, there was a lot going on there. If you want to see more about that, I posted some on the hobby boards. I'll also have a YouTube video showing the entire process soon. Anyway, this UD Exclusives Parallel is the only parallel of that base card, which is hard to imagine now, you know, 20 years later, right? Only one parallel. So I put this parallel on my save searches, and I figured I would just wait it out, right? It was bound to show up. Well, you know, it, it hadn't shown up after a couple of months, but one day I was cruising a Reggie Miller Facebook group, which I don't do very often, as much as I like uh, new outlets for cards, right? I Just Facebook in general, I try to stay off that. But anyway, it was on this Reggie Miller group, and thankfully I did get on there because I noticed another Reggie collector was moving some of his number duplicates. And this was one of them. So the price was very reasonable. The rest is history. So thank you, Redeem, for a smooth transaction. Like I said, that came all the way from the Czech Republic. All right, the next card I want to talk about was not as smooth of a transaction. Well, I guess technically the initial transaction itself was smooth, just me paying for the item, but the execution was not. I think I've talked about a set from 2004 Fleer Authentics before called Ticket to the Pros that paired a rookie with the executive or coach of that same team, and the executive's auto was on the card. So for example, for the Pacers, it's a David Harrison rookie, but it's got a Larry Bird autograph. Okay, now, similarly, the Sean Livingston card in the set, right? So think about it. That's Clippers. Is signed by the Clippers executive at the time, which was Elgin Baylor. And I already have this card numbered to 200, but a copy numbered to 25 with a nicer autograph showed up for a great price. It was like a $20 buy it now with a little bit of shipping. So I hit the bin, right? I didn't even think about it. Hit the bin and waited for this standard envelope to come through. So it shows up. I open it up, and the card is in a team bag with a top loader, but the card is not actually in the top loader. I guess it, it was just a hair too thick to go in that top loader, and instead of doing the responsible thing and getting a different top loader, the seller decided to toss them both in that team bag together and leave it up to chance. Well, you know, the four corners of the autograph window ended up with creases. Two of them were pretty bad, so, you know, that that's pretty frustrating. And no matter how the, the seller handles this, which I'll let you know in, in a moment here, but no matter how they handles this, it doesn't change the fact that a pretty rare card from nearly 20 years ago is now damaged. Um, and they offered me $5, by the way, $5 partial refund on a $20 plus card. So I told them that wasn't going to cut it. I'm sending it back. And I will say, though, I'm not opposed to the standard envelope program. In fact, I'm a big fan of it. I'm not opposed to plain white envelopes, but there's a right way to do it, and this was not it. Obviously, you know, this was a bit of a bummer and should serve as yet another reminder to take the time to ship things right, which I, I shouldn't have to tell you guys that. I, you know, I probably don't, right? Because you guys are collectors. You know how you want to receive cards in the mail, so don't be that guy. Okay, the last card I want to talk about was really not protected all that well either, but thankfully it showed up fine. It is a 2014-2015 National Treasures NBA Game Gear Patch Auto of Rick Barry, numbered 4 out of 20. I saw this one pretty much right as it was posted. Uh, I was at a work conference last week. I was sitting in the hotel room looking at patch listings, right? No surprise there. And I have wanted a nice on-card patch auto of Rick for a while now. 
And this buy it now was also reasonable. But this time there there was an or best offer function on it. And I decided to play that game that usually doesn't end up well, where instead of hitting the bin, the reasonable bin, I made an offer. And in my head, you know, knowing that this was a reasonable bin already, I decided whatever counter comes my way, I'm going to accept it, even if it's just $5 off, right? Because if you do that a bunch of times, it really adds up, you know, you can save money that way, whatever. The downside to that approach is, and you guys know this, sometimes someone else will come along and hit that bin. So what do you do, right? What's your strategy? Everyone has a little bit different strategy. How do you let all this play out? Well, I typically give myself a time limit. And this time I decided 15 minutes. If the seller didn't counter in 15 minutes, I was hitting that bin. And the whole time we're here in the hotel and and I'm just muttering to Mrs. Wax Museum, this is the age of the smartphone. I know the seller's seen the offer, right? Why is he ignoring my offer? Well, whether he saw it or not, 15 minutes passed. I hadn't heard from him, so I hit the bin. And in this case, I'm glad I did. Because as I mentioned earlier, there's a nice patch piece here. The auto is on card. Rick Barry is one of my all-time favorite players in NBA history. This is something that I didn't have in my collection. It was long overdue, right? So if I haven't posted that on social media yet, keep an eye out for it because it's coming. I just got to get around to scanning it among other things, but I will get that one posted. All right, before I move into today's conversation, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com, your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 31 million trading cards, from baseball's biggest stars like Shohei Otani, Aaron Judge, and Mookie Betts, to Marvel favorites like Spider-Man, Thor, and Captain America. ComC has something for every type of collector. Visit ComC.com today to build your collection with your favorite cards. Additionally, some of you have asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is through my affiliate links, like eBay and Amazon. And using these links costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time. But it helps support this show. To access these links, simply go to WaxMuseumPodcast.com Click the corresponding logo, eBay, Amazon, whatever it is, Fanatics, shop as planned. So whatever you're going to buy anyway, just click my link first and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hey, this is Bob Nettleke, former Indiana Pacer, played on a few championship teams, had a lot of fun. You know, I'm listening to the Wax Museum Podcast, one of the best there is. Okay, so joining me today is one of my favorite guests to have on the show. You guys know him by now. He probably doesn't need a formal introduction, and he's got a whole slew of titles. He's the Jay Crowder guy, the Northeastern correspondent, uh, Boston Steve, Showley, whatever you want to call him. Steve, does your wife know about all of these aliases? No, she has no idea. Okay, so I, I will say um, my wife at least knows of Boston Steve, because I'll, I'll say, hey, I got to record a podcast tonight. And the first question is usually, is it Boston Steve? I'm known down in Florida. You know, I'm I'm honored. And I also know that Doc's wife from uh, Pack to the Future podcast also knows Boston Steve. So I guess my name's getting out there a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, slowly one listener at a time or one wife at a time. Um, 
All right. So that'll probably be the only question that I have for you today. It probably won't, but right now it's the only question I have for you because this past weekend I set up a little showly mailbag post on Instagram and the questions kept rolling in and good ones too. So uh, we'll skip the small talk and head right into those. And the first one, although it's not card related, piggybacks off of a question you had for Ryan a couple weeks ago, Lakeside Collects wrote, Based on previous lessons taught by Sholey that Colorado is Midwest and Ohio is East, what is Missouri? How about Alaska? Our daughter is going into third grade, and we want to make sure that we're sharing the correct information. So what I'll, Lakeside, what I'll say to your daughter is do exactly what I did. Take about 13 seconds to enter a question into Google and respond with the very first thing that pops up. Um, you just got to trust what's on the internet. So I typed in what is Colorado in the Midwest when I wanted to send that question. I, I don't know. I, I'm not paying attention to geography. Google told me it was. So that's how I posed my question. So um, I would tell your daughter, just go through third grade, Googling her answers and knowing that that is, is factual information and she'll be all set. Right. Because Googling is right all of the time, about 60% of the time. So you can't go wrong with that. Or maybe chat GPT. That's the new thing now. All right. Let's stick to the Northeast for now, because that's what you know. And your beloved Celtics because obviously there were at least a handful of Celtics questions. So Josh, AKA Mitten State Collector asked, if your team name was pronounced correctly, which I believe is Celtics versus Celtics, how would that impact your fandom? Honestly, Kyle, it wouldn't impact my fandom because I, I would grow up knowing them as the Celtics, which doesn't roll off the tongue at all. So uh, what it would do though, is it stopped me from sounding like an idiot when I actually do want to reference Celtic heritage. And I, I'm so Celtics forward with my thought process because I consume so much content that I wouldn't embarrass myself talking with my family about uh, my brother's Celtics not tattoo or, or anything <laughs> like that. So it would save me some embarrassing moments when I sound like an idiot not knowing my own heritage, but it would not impact my fandom. I, I think I had a few moments like that growing up where I, I learned through sports first, and then I realized that sports is not always real life. But um, hey, you know what? It was for me. Now... Uh, Green Stiller, another Celtics question here. He said, which Celtics player, and this is all time, would you pick to um, A, grab a beer with, B, marry into the family, or C, have their history as a Celtic disappear? I'm answering all three, and I'm just going to go rapid fire. Love to sit down at a bar, saddle up uh, next to Kevin McHale. I just feel like the stories, he's a guy that just seems like he saddles up at a bar a lot, and I think the stories and the conversation would be pretty fantastic. Marrying to the family, Al Horford just seems like a good guy, right? Like a family man. I I, th I could trust my kids around Al, I feel like. And erase their history from Celtic lore would be Rick Pitino. No no further discussion needed there. Yeah, I, I, well, Pitino didn't even come across my mind. But yes, that, that name's come up a couple times, I think, in our conversation. So yes, that makes sense. Uh, I, I guess I was thinking like Evan Turner or something. I, was the Evan Turner Celtics era, was that good or bad? I don't remember. Yeah, he was fine. We liked him. And uh, he gives a great interview. If you've never listened to him, honestly, he's a really good interview, media guy, locker room guy. And he sounds like Meatwad. So that alone we liked him for. <laughs> I was going to say very distinct voice. I think I just hold a grudge against Evan Turner because we traded Danny Granger for him and then our team completely fell apart. All right. Kevin M. Cormier asked, Kevin Gamble, and calm down, Tim, from Pack to the Future podcast, Gamble as in someone's last name. So Kevin Gamble or Darren Day? That's an easy one. Gam Gamble. Gamble. He was he was a he was a feel-good star. I won't go into it, but he was a first-round pick bust 
Um, and the Celtics ended up signing him just to replace Larry Bird for a few games when Larry was injured. And he ended up sticking around in Boston having a decent career. And and I'm old enough to have actually collected his cards and followed him. Um, Day is, for all I know of, pretty much a nobody that had a few decent playoff moments. But I'm not old enough to remember him. So I'll, give me the gamble. Yeah, I was thinking gamble was more your era, like like 91 to 94-ish. Gamble had Flair Ultra cards, right? So that alone gives him the edge. Okay, yeah, got to go with that. Um, speaking of guys with Ultra cards, I'm assuming this guy has one. I'm pretty sure he does. PK32 Sports Cards ask, what is your favorite D Brown card? You know this one, Kyle, and it's pretty easy if you know my collection and all. It's a select gold out of 10 patch auto. It's actually jersey numbered, and it's one that was a sticker auto that I tore the sticker off of very gently and had it signed in person at one of D's signings. So it's now an on-card patch auto, and it came out fantastic. And if people want to see that, I'll, I'll throw that up in my stories when this, this gets released. Yeah, I had someone message me recently about um, taking a sticker off of a card and, and getting it signed and, and and you know what that would actually look like. I said, well, wait a second. I know someone that's actually done that. Uh, JB's Jalen Brown PC ask, who is your all-time favorite Celtic and why is it Marcus Smart? If he really wanted to troll me, he would have asked, why is it Marcus Morris? Because that might be the only recent player that I've had more disdain for. Uh, that That's an insider joke about anybody that's talked Celtics with me knows that I will consider the disappointing playoff run and the way they played and embarrassed themselves in public many games. The consolation prize will be if they trade Marcus Smart because I'm just tired of watching him play basketball. Um, so he is by far my not my favorite Celtics, but I'm ready to see him in a, with another organization. I, I can't figure out the Celtics relationship with Marcus Smart. And maybe it's because I listen to Simmons who flip flops every week. Where are they on Marcus Smart right now? Um, so one of the questions you're going to ask me, because I did preview a few of them, is overrated. The organization honestly sees him as, from all trusted news sources, sees him as a cornerstone piece of the organization. They, re they really do. And um, he's, he played well last season. I don't know why they're so hesitant to move on from him. Um, I, I think he sees himself as up there with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And I think the organization sees him as a foundational piece. So they're they're very, very high on him, especially at the ownership level. I think it's one of those cases where he's more valuable to you guys than what you'll get in return. And it, it's just hard to hard to handle an asset like that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would say probably time to move on from Marcus. Well, if if you knew for sure that Malcolm Brogdon would stay healthy, which spoiler alert, he won't. If you knew for sure he would stay healthy, then I think it'd be a lot easier to move on. Agreed. All right. So speaking of current Celtics. Let's talk a little bit about the current squad. Josh, a.k.a. Mr. Archer, asks, what, if anything, do the Celtics need to do to their roster to win a championship? And I think this is complicated a bit by the new CBA. Um, I think you and I were talking about that a little bit in, in private recently. Yeah, and we won't get into the nuance of the CBA because we don't know what we're talking about. It doesn't really matter. It's kind of boring. What they need to do, and it comes off of what we were just talking about, they're too guard-heavy right now, and they don't have enough big man-slash-wing depth. So they need to restructure their roster a little bit. They need to do exactly what they're doing right now is bolster up their coaching staff. It ends up this, you know, people say coaching doesn't matter in the NBA. It absolutely does. And this e-made a Joe Missoula thing ended up being one of the reasons that they didn't go as far as they needed to this year. And they need to get creative with their offense there was a really interesting stat i'm not going to remember it but it was something along the lines of in game three of the finals 
Jokic and Murray had 17 assists to each other, and Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and less than that in the entire playoff run or something. They're it's not a creative offense. Uh, they're very dependent on threes, but they don't set up those threes. They just kind of jack them up from time to time, as I'm sure anybody that watched the playoffs noticed. So they need to restructure their offense. They need to rebalance their their roster a little bit, and they need to bolster their coaching staff. But they, I mean, they have top end talent. I'm not going to sit here and crap all over them, but they they do need to tweak things pretty significantly yeah that's why i i've thought the um the should we keep Jalen debate that and and maybe it's it's just perpetuated by the media but i i've always thought that was kind of goofy because even though it is a lot of money you know if you're a franchise that doesn't have that talent or, or you're stuck you know trying to acquire those pieces you realize just how hard it is to get a guy like that to come there even for that money so i you know I, i'm thinking the celtics are going to keep him without even thinking about it yeah, they will. And, and to, the problem with the medium, we'll get back to the question in a second, but people just look at these Supermax contracts and say, well, that guy's not worth it. What, what was it? Three, four guys in the entire NBA are worth the Supermax, that 50, 60 million. If you are a contending team, you're just going to have two guys in that echelon. Like mm-hmm. Michael Porter Jr. is not worth what he's getting paid, but you know what? He's worth every cent to it right now to the Nuggets, and they'll figure it out on the back end, right? So. Yeah. Um, we can't look at these guys make crazy money. We have to look at what it means within the roster of a team and not like real world money. I think that's where the media drives some of these these narratives out there. Yeah. Now, Josh also asked yet another question for you. Given the Sox baseball cards in your PC, what would you like to see tops do for basketball cards? So, you know what I'm going to say with this, and it's going to be the game dated relics. With my Red Sox stuff, most of it is game dated patches that use an MLB certification that's on the card itself that you can look up the certification number and know exactly what game the relic is from you know whether it's pants gloves jersey base etc it's a it's a great system unfortunately i have i've seen tops get away from that over the last few years they're not producing nearly as many of, as those and i haven't seen fanatics use them at all even though i really do like what they're doing their their patch auto cards look great they're not using the certifications but I would love to see them give us more information and, and more um, information about the patches. The other thing I'd like to see them do is to bring Stadium Club back, make a set mm-hmm. similar to what they do with Photogenic, but make a set that is about capturing moments in a game, capturing the photography, getting rid of the borders, and just give us that 98-99 Stadium Club all over again. Um, and those are the two things I'd really like to see them do. And really, I, I mean, maybe the Relic thing's a little more difficult, but I, I think those are doable. And I've talked about that MLB debut patch on here before and how I thought that was indicative of more things to come as far as relics go. But as you alluded to there, we haven't seen any, you know, any further stuff like that from top so far, which to me is kind of strange considering they've had that already. It's not like they have to completely redo everything and um, not to get too far down this rabbit hole, but you know, here we go. Uh, The basketball stuff that we have seen so far the biggest pulls of redemption, the live autos are stickers. And then one thing that I, I've seen talked about a little bit, but I want to bring up here, the printing technology just seems off. Have you noticed that? You know, I haven't, I honestly haven't paid any attention to the top stuff. Um, so I, I have no comment on that. Okay. So I've had baseball people tell me that, um, you know, they'll say, Hey, you know, the tops Chrome that you're going to get um, the cardstock and the the technology that you remember, that's not what you're going to get in 2025 or whenever that change oh. happens. And so now I'm looking at this Bowman U stuff already. 
And I think I see what they mean because some of these cards really just look like garbage. I'm not even talking about the design. I'm just talking about the materials themselves. So uh, I'm a little worried. I'm a little concerned because Fanatics has said a lot about the experience and the process and breaking and all these things that they're going to bring into the hobby or really they're going to streamline and, and brand under their own branding. But um, I think at some point they have to look at the actual product. And I, I've been excited about a change, but the fact that they're not Panini will only carry them so far. Yeah. At the end of the day, they have to put out a good product. All right, I'm done. I should just stay in my lane and, and collect those hideous art looking projects that I've been buying, which um, a lot of people stay away from and understandably in the same vein, the next question comes from NJ Nets collector who asks, is there a card or player you would never have in your collection? So it's not a basketball card, but in the right to the top of my head comes Aaron Hernandez. I would never, I don't understand the drawer. He was a famous Patriots tight end that murdered uh, several people and ended up committing suicide in jail. People do pay up for some of his autos or rookie cards. I could never own one. I don't get the appeal at all. But as far as I'll, I'll put a positive spin on that though. Other than that, no, like I don't, there isn't like, even with rivalry stuff, there aren't teams that I'm disgusted by and wouldn't pick up their cards or, you know, if I had a chance, I might not hold on to it forever, but I really don't like Dwayne Wade. But if there was a cool card or fit in a set or something like that, there's there's nothing within my fandom that would stop me from owning a card of another team or another player. Um, it really would have to be something to the level of like Aaron Hernandez. Yeah, I think my my view on that uh, as far as the rivalry cards has really changed over the years, because I think in the heat of the rivalry, like with Pistons cards, right, I didn't want anything to do with them. Well, now I have a decent little Pistons collection. So I think I just want cards that remind me of certain times, good or bad. Mm. And uh, I can look past, you know, some of those feelings as, as they were in the moment. Now we've gone a while without mentioning Jay Crowder here, about 20 minutes. So uh, it's time for all the Crowder questions. The first one comes from TJ Yeldon collector. So first off, before we even get into the question, shout out to all the, the obscure player collectors out there. TJ Yeldon's not one that I hear all the time. So have you ever reconsidered your PC dramatically? In my experience, I have sometimes fallen out of love of PCing a certain player or type of card pretty quickly. So I was wondering if you've ever reconsidered collecting someone like Crowder or if you never had doubts. So with the Crowder stuff, once I jumped all into that, the deep end of that pool, I haven't considered really, it's not worth anything. And the effort to get rid of it isn't worth it. And the enjoyment that I get out of it is still is still there. I really do, even when I complain about a 46 card optic rainbow, I still enjoy learning about the sets and the chase, et cetera. So with the Crowder stuff, I've never reconsidered. I have it in the past when I've PC'd other players, I've gotten frustrated with, like I used to, I wanted Jeff Green to be the next heir apparent to the Celtics when Pierce left. So I had a large Jeff Green collection I, that lasted, you know, a year or two and I moved on. So I do get bored with stuff. There's not really a, a fan, like a fan in me tied to it or a reason to collect it all. Uh, I definitely transition over my PC from time to time, but the Crowder stuff, no, that's, that's still going strong. And if I get rid of it, I'll probably just box it off and send it off to, to Jay's dad. Cause I've been in touch with him on social media and he can have it all. All right. So um, another Crowder question here. And if you saw this one, you probably laughed at it already. Tyler sports guy. He wrote uh, who would win in a fight, Tony Allen or Jay Crowder. Jay's much bigger, but Tony's dirty. Tony would bite an air off uh, Tyson style. So I'm going to go Tony Allen on that one. So I was doing a little bit of research today when I saw this question, you know, on YouTube 
And um, Jay's got like a five minute altercation. I don't want, I guess it's not a mixtape, right? But like a highlight reel on YouTube. And, you know, it's modern NBA. So it's a lot of uh, hold me back kind of stuff. And and really a lot of reactions. He seems to uh, be a little bit of a troll. And he, yeah. he kind of gets reactions from people. So there was one clip that I forgot about from Kendrick Perkins when he was a, a Cavalier and he set a screen, a, a hard screen on him, kind of hovered over him after Jay fell to the ground. That kind of felt like Celtic on Celtic crime to me. So now I, I, I'm, I was thinking about Perk in all of that. And, he, you know, obviously he's worked himself into this ESPN gig. And I've gotten grief for years now about Reggie Miller and Mark Jackson and, and their uh, broadcasting careers. Do you find that Celtics fans like Perkins on TV or, or how do they handle that? Or, or maybe even what do you think about his TV career? I like when he's honest. I do like his takes. I think he is one of the few people that will call a player out and, and not be ashamed. I don't think he's fighting for interviews or airtime. His shtick doesn't, it wears on me from time to time. He's trying very hard to become a persona as opposed to being himself. When he's on local Boston Airways, Kyle, he's great. He's just very honest. He's down to earth. Um, he's insightful. He brings in information from... His upbringing, he's just really good. When he's on the bigger stage, I think he puts on that shtick a little too heavy and doesn't really quite know what his persona needs to be, and it kind of grinds my gears. Yeah, I think I heard him. It Maybe it was on, I think, Zach Lowe's podcast where he was talking about his book, and I, I thought that was really good. But yeah, it was kind of different from the side of him that you see yeah. on TV. Um, okay, back to Crowder, and I think we might have answered this kind of with another question earlier but i'll go ahead and ask it 77 ncaa champs ask if jay joined the lakers would any jay laker cards be in your pc yep still chasing them all that's an easy one for me all right so then one more question from 77 ncaa champs if they created mountain biking cards would you collect i probably not uh, i don't know i don't follow the sport so i don't i don't think i would I'd, I'd get something if it was if there was a nice you know scenic view of someone riding through Whistler or something, I'd, I'd probably grab it and add to it. You know what? Yeah, I could talk myself into it. Absolutely. If they were like stadium club biking cards, right? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we have to have had a, a mountain biker in either Ginter or Goodwin Champions or one of those products that needed, for lack of a better term, product fodder. Have we not had any of that yet? Probably not. When mountain biking had a few like minor, like D level pop culture athletes, they wouldn't, I don't think they would have been products like that. That would have been like early 2000s. Oh, okay. I, I got you. Around. All right. So now you do collect quite a bit of other stuff, though, maybe not mountain biking cards, and you post it from time to time. So the next question might be inspired by one of those posts. It comes from our good friend Hugo, AKA Nebrolian PC, who asked, why don't you collect more football, Steve? And he did. He put your name in there, Steve. What would be your Holy Grail football card? And then he also wrote, when do we start our own podcast focusing on soul of the game cards, best accents in the hobby? There's nothing like a good French accent and a monotone Boston accent. Just talking about the bottom of sneakers stuffed into some cardboard. Sounds like a win to me. My Holy Grail card would be, it's a, I don't know what year it's from. It's a die cut game used patch auto tom brady from lux and okay. they're, they're very short printed just a great looking card jumbo patch that or the 2014 flawless patch auto tom brady would be my two holy grail cards that i'll never own any of them because they probably add up to what my house is worth but um those would be the two well um you mentioned the patriots there i actually bought a patriots rpa this week and how's that for a sentence you never thought you'd hear uh and, and now that i say it out loud i 
I don't know if I like that either, but um, I, I guess I should give the reason here real quick. Otherwise the people at home are just like, what's the point of that? Uh, I did, I was at a conference this week for work and, and uh, Malcolm Mitchell was one of the speakers. So I, I looked up his cards. I said, all right, you know, I really enjoyed that. Let me buy a nice patch and uh, RPA on, on Com C for 12 bucks. All right, I can do that. All right, so last question. This is it. And I'll uh, let you figure out how to interpret this. I honestly don't know what, what this means. Mike, MILB fan, asks, can Sholi create a Duncan-themed rating system, maybe involving crawlers? So I haven't had a, a, had a good Duncan's crawler in a while. What I can say to that is I would think maybe not a rating system, but like my daily order every day is a medium iced coffee, just skim. So I feel like that's my my Crowder collection, right? Every day on eBay, I'm looking for Crowder. If I had to rate them, I do love a good Boston cream donut. So those would be, you know, maybe a flawless gold patch. Whereas I, I'm not a jelly guy. So jelly would be a base card. A plain donut is a sneaky undervalued donut, in my opinion. So I think you could make a mix for like, yeah, 2012, 13 crusade, sneaky underappreciated set there. So I, I could see a little something going on there, but I don't know that I know the Duncan menu well enough. I'd have to do a little uh, R and D on that one and start, start coming up with some better ideas. I think. Yeah. Whatever set is coming out year after year and is giving you exactly what you expect. That would be their good old fashioned donuts in my mm, opinion. That's a good call. Yeah. Now, um, a lot of panini stuff lately would be like uh, how I see their coffee, which is just incredibly inconsistent, whether it's the things that you ask for or the taste of the coffee itself. I used to go to Duncan so much. I, I want to love Duncan. I had to stop going, though. So your your Boston, your Massachusetts coffee is just not cutting it for me here in Florida. Which makes sense just because you're also ready to be done going to Panini and I'm bringing in Fanatics. So you are, you're ready for a shift in both realms. Right. Yes. Bring in the next horrible coffee shop that I'm going to continue to go to nonetheless. All right, Steve, I really appreciate you coming on the show here and obviously being a good sport in the process because we always like to poke fun at your Boston sports and your Jay Crowder stuff, but we really do enjoy talking about it. And I think people know where to find you already, but why don't you give out your social handles real quick and then feel free to give a plug for anything you might be looking for in the process. As always, Kyle, I really appreciate it. It's always, you know, it's good natured fun, even when we are taking jabs at each other a little bit. That's Howley 2003 on everything. And I'll put a plug in for hop on to the hobbyboards.com. That's a, it's a new forum. I know you had Ryan on last week. I, I think we're, we're trying to, Get some momentum there, but uh, I'm also S Holly 2003 on the hobby board. So if you want to message me, why don't you join there and send me a DM and let's let's see if we can start some conversation over there and build some resources. All right. So you know where to find them. You can find me there as Deadshot, which has been my message board to handle for, I think, the better part of two decades now. And then, of course, you can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast or Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the website for my affiliate links. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.